Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's the one after the Rolex 24 at Daytona, uh, which actually translates officially into Series 16, Episode 5 on the 3rd of February. Good to have your company wherever you are uh, around the world. We're in the middle of the football uh, tonight, so I'm not sure I can do live scores uh, at the moment, Uh, but we'll prove to you that we're live in a little while. Um, if you're a Man City fan, you'll be happy. That That's all I'm seeing. Uh, up in London is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, listener. And happy New Year. Good evening, listener. And Happy New Year to you. On a packed fro- programme tonight, packed programme, a packed programme tonight, uh, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Uh, we have right. a big interview. We have uh, lots of news in English and in Spanish. Oh, oh, uh, Nick Damon and uh, Shay Adam will be here. I'll see if I can dig out a pointless press release. Um, all the usual fun and games. And uh, it is fair to say that at least for the, for, uh, I think actually for the majority of the show tonight, if we can manage to make all the technology work, uh, we will be looking back on what was quite an extraordinary Rolex 24 that kept us all enthralled, engaged and entertained for, well, all of the 24 hours and actually, frankly, a little bit more. But we'll get to that in a moment. Let's run through some, let's run through some uh, of uh, your tweets to at Specutainment. Uh, we'll start with the great Gonzo, who's missing tonight because the Champions of England are playing and going for the title, so maybe distracted. Um, Jurgen Klopp just doing his pre-match interviews at the moment. Uh, hello. Uh, let me get the right computer. I'm, I'm suffering from what I was doing at the weekend and using the wrong mouse. Hello to Oliver Giles, who's celebrating an exam result today, listening to my favourite motorsport show, all whilst completing worksheets and case studies. Congrats. Well done to you Oliver if you're celebrating that must have been a good result best of both worlds he says no EFAs for Brodie an evening away from aircraft engineering licence studying studying and remembering just how good the Daytona 24 was uh, hello to Matt Endine building a Tamiya Mark II Escort world rally car nice nice very good Indeed. No AFAs tonight, says the Colonel. TM. 
Uh, so Lewis Hamilton must have signed up by now, has he? This is episode five. That was my guess. My next guess would be episode nine, just after the W12 launch. Thoroughly enjoyed the action during the Rolex 24 hours. Uh, and the IMSA weekend was brilliant. That's very kind of you to say, Colonel. And thank you to everybody, by the way, for all the hard work. And indeed, uh, to all of our team as and, well. And for all of the uh, listeners in North America who uh, were wondering yeah. why uh, the Mercedes uh, launch didn't go ahead today, uh, you just need to look at your calendars properly. <laughs> yes. Yes, because it was all three or two, wasn't it? Um, or two or three. That's it, rather than all three. Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, Kevin Payne, hello, Kevin. Looks like another great lineup tonight, listening live, listening uh, whilst also keeping an eye on a couple of Premier League matches with which clash with Midweek Motorsport. Yeah, we'll have a bigger audience, you know that. Uh, and, uh, oh, by the way, Jersey Dudek, two, two great gonzo, won the European Cup with Liverpool, of course. Also raced in the Catalonia 12 hours in Kravendik a few years ago. I seem to think that we made all of the same goalkeeper joke, jokes about good hands, safe hands and all of that sort of thing uh, as as we did uh, with um, the French international goalkeeper Fabian Bartes, Fabian Bartes who, who uh, had his own team for a while. Uh, Neil Gardner listening live at his temporary drawing board tonight and I'd be honoured to draw to sign your new drawing board um, exceptional work as ever by NG Auto Art Neil nice to know that you're listening hope you're fitting well mate hello to Sarah Rigby to Kilvey to Right Turn Lover who is EFA tonight and uh, enjoying another Wednesday evening for the moment whilst avoiding her quizzical look inquiring why you're not tuned into midweek motorsport RTL you're doing the right thing we have no issue with that uh, at all. Stephen Stringer, uh, hello to you tonight. Uh, to Rob Jana, apologies tonight. Uh, and uh, looking forward to listening to the podcast at work. Jack Gabriel, uh, also listening in, making a custom pedal box for the Thunder Saloons car that he's building at the moment. That looks gorgeous, uh, by the way. Hello to Chris Suku, Noah AFAs, another two hours in the studio, just pottering. That's, you know, that's the off-track um, equivalent of trundling, I think. Michael Denny, uh, no AFAs, on a cold run, leg-powered, not some test session. Ian McCarthy listening live tonight after a beat. Ian was up for nearly the whole 24 hours, if not the whole 24 hours, as were many of you. Um, Alex, no AFAs tonight, fish and chips listening to the show. Jonathan Main also was in with us for the pretty much the whole weekend. Still buzzing from an extraordinary Rolex 24 and the future direction of IMSA, not forgetting the Haggerty Live broadcast. Tad the Toy Man, no EFAs. Sadly not 100 metres away from you at Bathurst 12 hours. Don't even start with that one. Uh, Moni, hello Moni. Monica, tuning in for a bit uh, of lunch before more meeting and Jack Martin uh, starting work and listening to midweek motorsport plenty to talk about tonight at Specutainment if you want to get in touch with us Seraphine looking forward to review of the R24 uh, Jet already having the post Rolex 24 hour blues and Red Ch- uh, Rob Chalmers uh, listening live for a change as is Jesse and Jules uh, Mr. of Live and uh, podcast tonight Entry Nebula listening live 
whilst running some licks from the wind, cries Mary, as is Nick and Patrick Drone. So, fade out the beds. And, Tim, you can take us to our top story tonight. Surely it has to be Rolex 24. It is indeed the Rolex 24 hours at Daytona. Excellent stuff. History made. History made at the weekend with the first ever win in the 24 hours by Acura. And that's where we'll start on our top story on Midweek Motorsport tonight. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Delighted to say that joining us now uh, on the line is Rolex 24-hour winner 2021. Ricky Taylor. Does that sound all right then when when you hear somebody introduce you as the as the Rolex 24 winner for, for this year? <laughs> I, I don't think it'll ever get old. Thank, thanks for having me, John. It will never get old. It will never get old. You're part of history now, Ricky. How does that make you feel? Yeah, and that's what's so special about the Rolex 24 is uh, as a, a fan first, uh, you know, I, I appreciate what uh, what the race means and the history history behind it and um yeah so just extremely special and something uh even even my big famous teammates alex rossiello cachanevas and and philippe albuquerque they, they all see uh how big of an event it is and we're, we're all going to have this together for forever phenomenal team effort um with, with the family team as well of course Let, let's not let's not forget a win's a win it doesn't matter what else happens on there's no asterisk there but in a year like 2021, where the win was so hard come by, does that almost make it a little bit sweeter? Absolutely. Um, I think before even getting to the track, just the fact that we were able to race and that everybody at IMSA and Daytona National Speedway was able to put on such a great event was the first big hurdle. And we had a great, uh, great turnout of fans. Everybody was able to watch a, a super exciting race safely. And, um, and then moving on from that, the race from hour one was just hectic. And I don't know how you guys were, but I was exhausted just watching it. And then getting behind the wheel, it was really hard work. Every, every single stint, it never, never cooled down. And, um, and then right to the end, uh, the, the, the weather heated up, the racing on track got even hotter. And uh, it was just so intense to, uh, to keep, keep the pace up and, and to maintain the track positions with the Cadillacs that were so strong. You mentioned the temperature. The track temperature went from, not the coldest I've ever seen at Daytona. I think it dropped down to about 13 Celsius at one stage overnight. I was doing that overnight shift, the middle uh, three to six shift, and I think it dropped down to about 12, 13 there. And then I think the next time I was on, it was 29, 30, 31, 33, 34 degrees yeah. seemed to happen in in an instant, when you guys were discussing the tactics of the race within the team, were you aware of what the temperature was going to be, the temperature change was going to be, and did that affect how you set the car up? We often talk at Sebring, don't we, about it, set the car up to be good in the dark. Well, here you had to set the, the car up to be good in that long, much longer than usual, daylight section to the finish at 3.40. Yeah, you're exactly right. It was uh, it was quite a uniquely warm Rolex 24, and um, another factor that with the prototypes, especially these days, that are so aerosensitive, uh, the wind was extremely strong, and that was perhaps even the biggest factor. Uh, was 
uh, throughout the whole week and even the roar, it was a, it was a headwind of the bus stop, which for our cars makes the bus stop, you feel like a superstar every time. Um, but then for the race day, it went from a crosswind on Saturday to a massive tailwind uh, in the bus stop, uh, which is a tailwind for turn three, a tailwind for turn six, uh, and then a headwind in one and five. And that dynamic made for such a difficult race because uh, the car does not want to turn with a tailwind. And then also racing wise, I think something that made the race even extra exciting was when you'd come out of NASCAR four, uh, you'd be coming straight into a, and a 50 mile an hour headwind. And so the, the slipstream was extremely strong. And so you could see lots of moves where people were getting runs going into turn one and it made for, it made an exciting race. It's just even more dramatic. And, uh, and that, that actually played into uh, our finishing driver order was we, we wanted somebody who was fresh, first of all, because of the heat, but also somebody that knew the track conditions and, you know, where you had to place the cars and the, the brake points were changing at lap to lap. And, that uh, was just, you had to be so precise and, and up to speed with every little detail of the track that that played a big part in, in our decisions. What sort of tactics did you have to employ then as drivers to be able to get the car to rotate under braking with that 15 mile an hour pushing you forward into the braking area for, say, the, the bus stop? I mean, the bus stop, let's be honest, it is a chicane, but it's a pretty quick entry into that anyway. You brake quite late for it in a DPI. But getting it to try and turn then, what were you having to do? More left foot braking, trying to wind the, the brake balance a little bit further back maybe to get the car to rotate? What were you doing? Yeah, you've, you've actually hit the nail right on the head. When, when we go into the bus stop, when you have the headwind, it just pushes the car into the racetrack and you have tons and tons of downforce and everything feels fantastic. But when you have that tailwind, um, each driver that drove kind of had to learn on their own the exact details, but you were able to kind of, give some points here and there to your teammates and uh, throughout the 24 hours you, you try not to use those bus stop curbs too much to not damage the floor damage the splitter to, to make sure your car is as good to go at the end as possible and then for those final three hours with that headwind we were just opening the radius as much as possible by using as much curb as we could so the car doesn't have to turn as much um, and you could see Renger even dropping wheels uh, in the dirt to rotate the car but, but like you said uh, all of our drivers are left foot breakers and uh, something that you never do in, in the bus stop is break between the first and second apex just because you're trying to roll the speed. And at the end of the race, you were having to just touch the brakes quickly just to get the car to point the nose. And it, it, at some points, you're sliding the car on purpose in the bus stop just to get it to turn and so you can get to that third curve. And it was, uh, it was, it was quite unique and just makes that last two stints that much more stressful because if you, if you don't get that rotation, the car takes off and then you can't get to power and then people can get a run on the front straight. So it was, it was pretty intense. Uh, you talk about language that's indoor slick surface carting almost there, a little dab, almost like pulling the e-brake on to get the thing to, to rotate. <laughs> oh, do you remember in karting? And I know you do a lot of karting still when you're my size, you can just slide across in the seat a little bit and it kicks the cart, <laughs> kicks the cart across. I never thought we'd be hearing about that in, in the Rolex 24 uh, at Daytona. You, uh, the Acura story is, is exceptional. Um, championship wins with the Penske organisation, but the big races eluded uh, Penske and, and Acura to come into the new era with Wayne Taylor racing and 
uh, with such a compressed time scale with the new chassis, the build time, and take the first race of the season, which just happens to be one of, if not the biggest races of the season, that is exceptional. I mean, is that almost a bonus from what you guys were, were expecting? Oh, it was, it was so much more than expected. I think, uh, you know, everybody, when you go to the, to the 24 hours of Daytona, you, you always look at the number 10, the Conica Minolta car. You're always looking at that one as a favorite. And, um, and from being the past three years with, with Acura and HPD, um, you know, the program had developed, you know, in such a great way, culminating with two championships and lots of race wins and, and lots of success. But those, Long distance races are just so difficult to win, and you can go into them with the fastest car off and uh, and never win. And uh, the partnership between HPD, Wayne Taylor Racing, uh, Conic Minolta, all, all the all the people coming together, it was it was pretty cool because uh, Orica's actually never won the race overall either, and so that's just a third party in the mix that uh, all three had something unique to bring and and trusted trusted each other because. Uh, we never did any off-season testing. WTR wanted to get the cars, make sure they could rub on everything, make sure it was exactly how they wanted. Uh, Acura was was really great about bringing all the support through HPD about uh, how we need to run the uh, you know the engine side of it and and some of the information that that carried over from uh, 2018 to 2020. Uh, and then Orica spent a week in the shop making sure all the little bits were uh, as the car was designed and that the uh, the car was set up properly on the on the pad, and uh, and then we went to Sebring. We just did one shakedown in Sebring, straight to the roar, and it's just incredible to say, uh, with that little track time, you go to the Rolex Twenty Four, nothing goes wrong, and uh, the car just runs on fuel and tires for twenty four hours. It was uh, everybody was. You want to celebrate with the people that really did all the work, and the guys on the team put in, you know a number of 18 hour days yeah. getting the car ready. And they were on the last little bit of energy, uh, just getting to the race. And the fact that they couldn't come into victory lane with COVID and we couldn't all celebrate together. It was really sad, but um, I mean, it was such a moment for everybody. And and now they get to have a couple, a couple of weeks off before Sebring. Yeah. Sebring. Um, this is one of our longest gaps in the year, actually, and probably just as well, because I presume it's a complete reprep for the car before Sebring uh, and, and another long race, 12 hours at Sebring, probably worth 24 anywhere else. That's the old story, uh, isn't it? What a great start to the season, though. And do you think now, right, OK, we're going to have to slightly reevaluate our season long goals now because we've started with a whole bunch of points in the full championship, a whole bunch of points in the Michelin Endurance Cup. And, um, metaphorically let's hope not literally we have a big target on our back because everybody's seen that Wayne Taylor Racing Connick and Minolka Acura is now right up there and we've hit the ground not running you've hit the ground sprinting like Usain Bolt <laughs> yeah it's um it's it's a great way to start the year and, and great momentum and great uh, morale for all the guys that put in such hard work and definitely gives them some extra juice to keep pushing for the rest of the season um but as you said uh, it does feel like you got a big target on your back. Uh, we saw how strong the Ganassi car was, and and that's just their first time out as well with the car, and so that was incredibly impressive, and and really a shame to see how their race ended. That's that's heartbreaking. 
Um, but we're gonna, they're going to be really tough all year. Uh, although there were seven cars in the race, any of them could have won. And that's just going to be, I think, a taste of what the rest of the season is going to look like. Uh, Philippe and I were talking about, you know, what kind of a year we have ahead of us. And uh, originally we're thinking, okay, we have to survive Daytona and Sebring, yep. uh, get through the, the street course races cleanly. And then the historically the good part of the year for us is the mid, mid to the end of the season. Uh, when we get to go to the flat, smooth tracks where this car really performs uh, very, very well. The Cadillac has always suited Daytona, suited Sebring, suited the street courses. Um, but to start off with, with some good momentum and, and a points gap where we thought we're just trying to, uh, you know, limit the damages is even that much better. I mean, to your point, I think six out of the seven DPIs led the race. And I'm not just talking on pit stop cycles either. We generally, genuinely had the pace to, to be up front. It's going to make a fantastic season. Does that... Right, you're a pro racing driver. You've been around this game for a very, very long time since you were, you know, about that high. <laughs> Sorry, nobody else can see what I'm doing, <laughs> doing there. But, but you know what I mean. You know this game. Um, a, a win is a win is a win. A championship is a championship is a championship. But to do it with such an amount of, of competition, and that's going nowhere for, for the rest of the mm. season. I mean, you guys have got your work cut out all year, but do you relish that challenge? And you know, does it, in some way, does it motivate you even more? It does, and uh, I think as a driver, everybody's always question. Nobody's one hundred percent confident, and so uh, when you can get a result like this against the best of the best, I mean, it really was the best of the best. It was such high quality, and there wasn't a weak link in any team out there. And anytime you were on track, you were with a Dixon or a Kobayashi, or uh, Ringer van der Zand or, or any of those guys, you're with all of them. And, uh, and to come out on top and, you know, reset your mind that, okay, even, even up against the best, we're still, we're still there and we're still able to win races. And, uh, but the pressure is definitely on. It's just going to motivate us to keep, keep working hard to, to keep the edge because uh, it's such a tough championship. We're going straight into uh, another, another one of the, the classics. I hope our listeners can hear in your voice. I can see you because we're doing this with a, a video call as well. But I hope our listeners can hear in your voice the smile that you have had for the whole of the past 15 minutes that we've, that we've had you on. I suspect that that might not go away for quite some time. Ricky, best to your dad and, and the rest of the team. Absolutely outstanding. Great entertainment. Great emotion. Everything that we could possibly want from a Daytona. And in such times, to have a, a big dose of, of normality like that, that's what the fans were telling us on Twitter all the way through the race. Thank you for your professionalism and for how hard all of you have worked in that very tiny off-season. Race well for the rest of the season, my friend. Great. Thank you very much. It was great listening to you guys on, on IMSA Radio as well. Uh, that's very kind of you to say. Very kind of you to say. Winner of the Rolex 24 at Daytona, uh, Ricky Taylor, dr- joining us on Midweek Motorsport. Thanks to Paul Marquardt for certainly, uh, setting that up. And he's listening, of course. He wanted to know what the boy said. Hello to Victor Ellis, uh, watching some Stuttgart versus Gladbach German Cup, but it's on mute at the moment. Dave Alcock says, 
As a fan watching from the UK, you don't think of the track temp at Daytona getting anywhere near the temperatures you see at Le Mans. But from what has been said, it wasn't that far off what we'd see in June. Hello to David Tubruce, who's joining us uh, as well. Uh, and Ian says, great to hear drivers and teams talk about how hectic and relentless the race was. They really settled down in this era, as we know. But this year's Daytona did seem to go to a different level. And with K-Mag and Rossi and, oh my goodness, we've got a lot to look forward to. Let's uh, let's bring in a couple of IMSA radio voices from the weekend. Shea Adam, our VP Racing Pit and Paddock reporter for the year, and Nick Damon. Uh, as well. Nick, first of all, to you, uh, extraordinary stuff there about wind. Now, often <laughs> you and I talk about wind, but that's because we're middle-aged men. Um, but to hear Ricky talking about how much difference that made and how that changed the driving style, and in fact, how it affected their driver rotation. Extraordinary stuff. It's an interesting insight into what else is going on, which you, which you can't see. You know, we, we can make various assumptions. Oh, we shouldn't have done that. That was a great move. Oh, Adrian Newey can see wind. He would have been able to tell us that if he'd been in the booth. But the thing to remember, of course, with any down, a downforce car, by its very nature, is effectively har- harnessing the, the, the power of the wind to provide it with grip. Mm. Um, and then you think about it. If you're, if you're going into a... Uh, a, a bus stop and your, your, your terminal speed is 170 miles an hour with a, a 50 miles headwind effectively it's like being, uh, you know, it, it gives you another 15, 15 miles an hour of downforce yeah. but in a tailwind you lose 30 miles an hour of downforce yes. you still have to go around the corner so that's that's the difference you think, yeah, the more speed the more downforce uh, or the more overall speed and yeah it's going to massively upset the car now, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting they're saying that they, they're, they're even having to kind of like start dabbing the, the, uh, the brakes in the middle of the bus stop that sounded like a quite a, I did see that a couple of times as well I wonder what was going on um, but yeah I mean it, it's, 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 yeah, it's one of those things you don't, you don't think about you know, it gets talked about oh, yeah, it's, it's a headwind at the uh, yeah, down the Monza main straight, it'd be easy to overtake. All right, fair enough then. But you don't think what it's like with a tailwind. Big, I mean, yeah, to bigger hole in, yeah, yeah, bigger hole in the air as well, of course, when you're coming on uh, mm. onto the trioval. Um I, I, I thought, as ever, Shea, that Ricky was very classy there in, in crediting the the competition and particularly how the race ended for the zero one car. But what you have got to say, you, we cannot underestimate the achievement that Wayne Taylor Racing has done, something that Roger Penske, the might of Penske, could not do for Acura when they had exclusive access to that, that Acura DPI. That's, that is absolutely outstanding from WTR. It's not unfair to say that Wayne Taylor Racing has the Rolex 24 as a Daytona figured out. They know how to win that race. Four and uh, five. Four yeah, and five, three baby. Times in the last four years, four times in the last five, they're very, very good at that track. And uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Classy of Ricky to mention the zero one. No denying that that was the fastest car on track. Uh, three, uh, all three of their drivers posted times within the top seven of the fast laps of the race. And out of Cadillac's presence, there was only one non-Cadillac driver in that top seven in terms of quickness. Mm. The pace was there. The Acura, Rossi was the fastest driver in the Acura. 
And yet Albuquerque drove the most of the race. So it's interesting to hear what Ricky was talking about, having a driver in the car who knows the conditions. Sleep definitely was the one because he drove three hours longer than the next longest driver. And that was all down to the wind. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to giggle in a very schoolboy, sport, very schoolboy way in all of that. At Specutainment, uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us uh, tonight, I know there's uh, a lot of Premiership football on for those of you uh, in the UK. It's the build-up of the Super Bowl as well, uh, of course, uh, this week in, in the US. So thank you for, for joining uh, with us. Uh, just a quick note that we have got Creelsey and the team back on on Thursday, tomorrow night, uh, live at uh, 9 o'clock at UK after the Simcast. We'll have more details on that from Tim in a, uh, a little while. And uh, well, let's stay for the moment with the Rolex. And actually, let's stay with, with Team Taylor, really, because not one, but two victories. I suppose you could say three victories because... The, uh, the two brothers had victories and the team had a victory. And Corvette Racing took the win in GT Le Mans. Uh, earlier on this week on the Haggerty Inside Track, I spoke to Jordan Taylor and put it to him that they'd had a pretty decent Rolex 24 hours in terms of their race run. For our car, there, it was pretty much a perfect day, I think. Other than the issues with, I think, three hours to go, um, Nikki came in and went to launch the car when we were leading, and the car stalled, and it wouldn't, the RPMs just wouldn't come up with pit speed on. So for the last, actually, three stops, we actually were launching from the box with no pit speed limiter, and then having to click it on when we, when we went, and then he got a penalty um, entering the pits with, like, two and a half hours to go. So other than that, um yeah it was a flawless day it was unfortunate that those issues did come so late on in the race I think with mm. two and a half hours ago that's really when you want to be you know at the front having good track position and, and making the most of it so we definitely felt like we went onto the back foot late in late in the game I think we dropped back to fourth with two and a half hours to go and Nikki was able to get by the Ferrari pretty quickly um but yeah then it was just a dog fight with us the BMW and the, and the four car so it was definitely a stressful last few hours, but I'm glad it all worked out the way it did. A pretty perfect race, as you've talked about. It nearly went all very, very wrong just after the checkered flag. I thought you'd got away with it because I didn't think it was going to be totally on TV, but the, the footage has been found and publicised. Come on, talk us through it. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a nice little secret as well. Um, but yeah, I saw everyone doing donuts down in turn one, so I thought, you know, why not join them? And uh, I asked on the radio for permission, and they said, yeah, no problem. Just don't don't go crazy. So I start doing my donuts, and I do a couple spins, and I'm going to drive away. And I start driving, and I think the first mistake I made was I didn't let the smoke settle. Um, and I didn't really have my bearings of where I was, so I started to accelerate out of there. And uh, once I kind of cleared the smoke, I was probably 10 feet from the pit wall. And I jumped on the brake so hard that I actually think I hurt my calf muscle uh, just to avoid hitting it. So yeah, it was uh, a near disaster after the race having, I don't think me, Nikki or Antonio touched a single car all 24 hours. So it would have been pretty ironic to, to have wrecked it after the checkered flag. I can't even imagine you've had all that emotion, all that concentration. You've got to, you've got to the end and then you're so close to binning it and putting it in the wall 
Uh, that must have been a really... You're a pro driver. Mistakes happen. But mistake happens in the race. I can't even imagine what you were thinking. Did you have that horrible metallic dry taste in your mouth as you were sliding towards the wall? Yeah, it was full-on panic mode. Uh, it was it was horrible, to be honest. Um, just I, I just pictured myself in the wall and not being able to drive back and just all the pictures and videos and storylines just being about this, how this guy crashed the car after winning the race. Um, and I was actually stuck there. I, I was like so flustered and confused. Uh, I couldn't get reversed. So I was sitting there for like a minute with all the corner workers like waving at me. Uh, yes, I'm glad it all worked out in the end. Great start to the season. It's one race. I know it's a big race, but it does start the season. You've got to be thinking championship. You have to be thinking championship at Corvette Racing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think when you go to Daytona, you're only focused on Daytona and winning that Rolex. Um, kind of a championship on its own. So thankfully we checked that one off the box. But yeah, as soon as the checkered flag fell, I know we were all thinking points and championships. So it's nice to be leading the points right now. Uh, now we have qualifying to, to play for with points as well. But yeah, heading to Sebring, we'll have uh, five cars again there as well. Hopefully Reese could come back again to make it six. But uh, yeah, something going to be a tough year. Like we saw this weekend, you know, we're going to be battling the four car all year. And I'm sure the WeatherTech car will be tough as well. Almost faultless then, Shea Adam, for the <laughs> Corvette guys. We have to mention that the issue that meant that Antonio Garcia couldn't celebrate with the team. He tested positive partway through the race on his 72-hour test before he left the US. And on all the protocols, therefore, are being followed by Corvette Racing there, um, which meant actually that they did have to change their driver strategy as well at the end of uh, end of the race. And if you haven't seen, by the way, that Haggerty inside track, um, it's available uh, on Haggerty.com. Uh, go in there, go in there, um, Haggerty.com live uh, section or the entertainment section, and you can see that. Uh, I, I, I did like when I asked um, Jordan about that, his, his answer. I'll not spoil that for you if you, you haven't seen it. They, they did just look like they had a bit more in hand in the C8Rs, Shea. They did, um, but ultimately it was the four car that looked stronger until, well, man, maybe four hours to go in the race. They were doing different fuel strategies and the three was getting slightly less good fuel economy. So the four car was able to go about a lap longer. Um, and then the three car went on a different strategy. That's ultimately what won in the race. So they wound up jumping ahead of the four on a pit stop. And then the four was struggling. Uh, it had some mechanical gremlins that were uh, starting to rear their head, but the four car did wind up being the one that managed to keep it all together and get to the end of the race in one piece. And to be honest, drive the wheels off the thing. Uh, just uh, a quick note, by the way, we should say that it was a false positive on Antonio Garcia, but no chances were taken by IMSA or Corvette uh, Racing. Um, Nick, the, the point was made there that for the first part of the season with the longer races, we will still have the BMW Team RLL 
cars as well as the WeatherTech Porsche. And let's be honest, the WeatherTech Porsche had a horrible introduction into GTLM. Before they even got to the start line, one of the BMWs absolutely nailed them from behind. <laughs> yes, I don't think that was Bruno Spengler's finest um, hour or finest couple of cars. It, it, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't was his the... finest explanation either, and I like Bruno. I'm going to have yeah. to have a word with him about that. I think, let's let, shall we just say... Bruno's done a bit too much eye racing, and I've seen that happen on many a warm-up lap on an eye racing event. <laughs> yeah, but Bruno kept winning in the eye racing, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. he was clean as whistle. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely right. Uh, at Specutainment, by the way, um, we'll be talking um, in a little while about GTD Pro. That was one of the big talking points that came out of Daytona and the Rolex 24 week. Uh, so your thoughts on the introduction of GTD Pro from this time next year, let's not forget. But let's now go to Nelson Cosgrove, who's the the head of Mazda Sport in the USA. He also joined me on the Haggerty Inside Track on Monday. A lot to talk about about Mazda uh, he was still travelling when we spoke to him. He's in a CX-9 or on the way back home, uh, driving on the way back home. He wasn't driving. His son was. First of all, we're going to talk about LMDH. Of course, we're going to talk about LMDH and GT3 and GT4. But first of all, I asked him about bringing MX-5 in the Edomitsu MX-5 Cup back into the IMSA Championship bringing it to IMSA and kind of being part of our, our IMSA family with Mazda, I think brought it to a whole new level. It was very tight pack racing. Um, I think you could tell that there were people trying to do all the best NASCAR moves they had. You could see people trying to side draft, which didn't necessarily work very well with these cars, but it was uh, the finish on Thursday could have been maybe one of the best races I've ever seen. It was, uh, it was great to see. And uh, I was really happy with the way it all turned out. I think Friday's race was setting up for, you know, to be just as amazing on the finish. I, I, I was a little bit worried that uh, we were going to have something really exciting on the last lap and maybe I didn't want to know, but um in the end, you know, the car suits the place really well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. with the sequential transmission and they, they broke into packs and all the way back into the back of the field. It was amazing racing. It's great. An amazing result for Mazda in the Rolex 24. Does that kind of performance help you when you're trying to make a kit is to continue in the top flight and move into LMDH? Well, it can't hurt. Um, yeah, I I mean, it, obviously, you know, those are decisions that have to be made across the the whole company level and how, you know, that's one thing that's a little bit different with, with LMDH is that, you know, largely the Cadillac program, the Acura program, the Mazda program are all, uh, domestic IMSA programs. Ours is run and funded out of North America, for example. The LMDH program where there's Lamar, a WEC version of it, you know, those become global programs and bringing those big programs in, in, into life, make, bringing them to life is, is uh, you know, certainly an exciting piece, but also 
you know, something that uh, that has to take a lot more time and, and effort to to try to understand it, you know, from a financial point of view, from a design and brand point of view, I think those are the those are the key items. Certainly winning helps, um, you know, the the Sebring win was huge for us as a company. Um, probably our second biggest win, except for the Lama win, which is 30 years ago this year coming up. Um, so for sure it helps, you know, it's the first time in a long time we actually finished the race was last year. And, uh, and then to finish and be that competitive, I think is a big deal. Broadly speaking though, this DPI 2.0 concept, um, IMSA's concept of, of the top class mm-hmm. of prototype, it makes a lot of sense for OEMs. It makes a lot of sense to give you the opportunity to amortize that across a number sure. of different uh, a number of different territories and a number of different series. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, that's one really nice thing about the way the, the rules are. You know, the, the other thing that's great about it is kind of a defined period of time for that rule set. So, you know, you know, you develop this car, it's a homologated car and, um, and largely it can't really be changed. So you can, you can race that car, you know, for a five-year period, you know, and now you can use it like you use the word amortization. I think it's a great part of that whole thing is, you know, you can run it in WEC, you can run it in IMSA, um, you can, you know, use your North American race team and hopefully you get an invite and you can come to Lamar and, and, and race, you know, much the same way the Corvette guys have. To me, it's a great rule set. I think that um, the other piece that's kind of interesting about it was sort of the IMSA concept for around the 2.0 piece was to open up more areas of the car um, in terms of styling. Yeah. So where, you know, today, the, the you know, the, the way that the rules, there's boxes around the various areas, like over the top of the greenhouse and over the top of the fenders and the wings on the front. Now, those areas have been expanded pretty tremendously in the new rule set. So I think some of the really interesting, unique brand styling that all of these companies have can be shown you know, more. Yeah. And as we kind of transition to an SUV world, um, the brand styling can be put into these great, you know, prototypes and, and show kind of what the company's, you know, design themes are. I think it's a, I think it's a great rule set. I really hope that we can be involved. Importantly, you're still putting a lot of money and I mean, folding dollars into motorsport and the, the road to 24 ladder program. Any, I won't say plans, but any thoughts of looking at other models that you could fit into either GT4 or GT3 and pull that road to 24 even more within Mazda's own model range? You know, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, I think, yeah, we don't, we don't really have a platform that would fit GT3 or GT4 very well right now. I mean, the, the, probably the highest performance car that we have in our lineup, it would be the Mazda 3 Turbo. Um, but we don't have anything at the moment that would that would fit a GT3 car, which has some some requirements around, you know, the performance of the streetcar, the pricing of the streetcar, things like that. So, time for a new RX7, is it not? <laughs> well, there was one in. Uh, they put the 
the uh, RX Vision in uh, Gran Turismo. So maybe yeah. we can have that someday. That's in Coast Grove. I loved his laugh at the end of that when I suggested a new Master RX-7. Uh, Nelson is the man at the head of Master Sport in the USA. Uh, Nick Damon, first of all, Master, so close and yet so far. A tailpiece that didn't fasten on, but they got back from that. Mm, did that cost them the risk? I'm not sure. I, I'm, I don't think they had the pace at the end of the race. No, I think I go, also go so far and then so close because they were three laps back. For, that's um, very good. Very but, good. Um, You're yeah, on fire, mate. Well, you know, I've, I've had two coffees already. I'll be talking gibberish by the time we get to F1. No change there then. Um, but uh, no, seriously, I think I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head there. They, they they proved that they were a car that should have been entertaining us by being on the same lap as the other five or four, depending where we're in the race. But I think ultimately that car was, you know, in the final factor a couple of tenths off where it needs to be to win. Sheer, hmm. um, MX-5 was extraordinary. You and I did it live, <laughs> both races. Um, and by the way, for those of you uh, in the US, next Wednesday at 9 o'clock UK, so what's that, Nine eight seven six five four o'clock uh, Eastern time. Don't stop listening to us. Set, set your DVR or whatever. NBCSN, have... The, the highlights of the first two rounds. Oh, I mean, it, Nelson was absolutely right. It worked so well. How could MX-5 have never been a Daytona before, Cher? <laughs> right? Well, because it's, it's one of those things that, on paper, it shouldn't work. And then in reality, it does, because they draft their... The whole point of going quickly in an MX-5 cup car is to use speed, to, to not shave off any of the speed. And where else do you need that principle more than Daytona International yeah. Speedway? And, and that's exactly what we saw. There were a couple of warnings issued for constant contact, if you will. But other than that, the drivers just relied on skill more than, well, their bumpers to try and help each other out around the track. It was phenomenal. I, I, I loved it. And the, the Itamitsu full season, of course, we'll have in sound and vision. No blocks, no brakes over on our companion site, imsaradio.com, for the rest of the season. Interesting point, Nick, made by Nelson there about GT4 and GT3, that they don't really have anything that fits into that box right now, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I think they are... Well, yeah, it's 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 like most of the larger manufacturers who make most of their money in America. They they are moving towards the higher riding SUV model. Even Ford, was it Ford is only going to have the Mustang? It's even that might be an electric car quite soon. Which Already isn't is, a, isn't a uh, Mustang you know, Mach-E, Yeah. So you know, and, and as a smaller organisation, still very successful over there, they they, they just aren't going to have a. Uh, a halo sports coupe it's not going to be something they're going to have so yeah that, that that does give them an issue if they wish to take part in in in, uh, in gt3 i mean it effectively precludes them gt3 however is going to become more and more important in international and even more than it is in regional it looks very much as though the aco will follow imsa's lead um, albeit perhaps with a new set of regulations in 2023. But next year, Cher, you know, we, we said this to, to Jordan. Jordan is, you know, and his team are going to be the last, for the time being, GTLM winners 
in IMSA competition at Daytona. Because next year, it's GTE Pro and GTE Am. GTD. GTD. Thank you, Nick. Yes. GTD Pro and GTD Am. I'm going to read out some of the comments uh, right now from the Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective. And and as ever, the collective have been uh, very considered on this. Steen Klassen says, do we know if killing off GTLM was discussed with Corvette? Did they have a warning? Um, I directed him to our Haggerty show after um, that was Sebring, wasn't it? Um, when Doug Feehan told us quite categorically that that car could be transferred to GT3 and they didn't have a problem with it. I've since heard from impeccable sources that the C8R was designed um, absolutely to be a GT3 if it had to be. Uh, Jet says, after listening to share in Michelin post-race tech, I don't quite get the point of GTD Pro. Will it bring in additional funding? I'm not sure it'll increase the car count unless people have a lot of cash down uh, the back of their sofas. Even factory teams at the Nürburgring series rely heavily on strong, on strong privateer teams. Uh, Thomas Smets I applaud the idea on one side. It would be the logical step to drop down to GTD and Pro-Nam. Thing is, how can they smooth it for teams and manufacturers? If you look at GT World Challenge America and see how hard it was there to get full Pro lineups for a full season, why would it be any different for IMSA? Uh, Graham Elliott, as a fan, you want to see racing. Two Corvettes, two BMWs and two Privateers. Probably not agreed. I'm not sure I agree with that, Graham. But okay, I, I hear what you're saying. On that basis, a big grid of GT3 Pro. I've definitely seen better. races with fewer cars on the grid than that. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, on that basis, a big grid of GT3 Pros is better. Well, if you think you're going to get a big grid of GT3 Pros, and, and that's the question we'll examine in a moment. Um, at the same time, I'm not sure that GT3 racing. Um, Sorry, I do think that GT3 racing is too BOP heavy and it is too ubiquitous for IMSA GT to stand out head and shoulders above other series as one of the premier GT3 grids in the world. Also questioning the crossover to Le Mans. Well, Le Mans will take it up uh, as well. Um, Shea, you, you are, you know, you're our VP racing fuel pit and paddock reporter for IMSA. Um, the suggestion is... That a couple of manufacturers, GM, Corvette included, were very happy about this. Porsche, Audi, and to a certain extent BMW, from what I've heard, will use the same sort of model they do in GT3 racing in Europe, in that they will use teams, private teams, and loan them factory drivers and give them some quote-unquote assistance. But what are the genuine private teams privately is seeing in GT3 because effectively it relegates them to a subclass now in GT3 whereas before they could race for an overall victory well it does but it it doesn't because we don't know the format yet we don't know if there's going to be a GTD Pro uh, Rolex and then an AM class Rolex given out as well we've seen that happen in the prototype class that part hasn't yet been laid out for for all the answers to be seen. Um, But in terms of GTD and and just the mention of factory 
um, drivers, for example. I saw something about this on social media the other day. There was a driver in the GTD category who was mentioning what a good effort a team made despite the fact that they were going up against drivers from factory efforts. So I looked through every car in GTD that ran at the Rolex, except for three, had quote unquote factory drivers in it, plural, like mm. at least one factory driver, sometimes two, sometimes three, depending on the situation. We had 19 cars for the Rolex. We're probably gonna have somewhere around 12 for a full season. Looking at those teams, half of them, more than half of them, would be happy to run in a GTD pro effort because it means for the big one, you don't have to worry about driver ratings. You can have whoever you want drive for you in your GT3 car. And that in itself is something that the teams have been asking for for a very long time. That's fine for the big races, Nick. But ultimately, if you don't split the classes up, and, and you were on with me when Lawrence Vanto was talking about this over the weekend on IMSA Radio, and he was um, not outspoken, but he was quite adamant that he feels that there should be a, a specification difference between GTE, uh, sorry, GT3, GT Daytona, GT Daytona, come on, hand off, get your head together, um, and GTD Pro, the first thing of which he wanted rid of, of ABS. Now, if it was two classes, and for example, GTD Pro became GTP, and then you had GTA, and there were two separate classes with, with separate spec, would that sit better, do you think? for the private teams rather than them either being a subclass or racing for fourth, fifth, sixth or seventh down over? Yeah, but let's let's really go back to basics and examine the reason that, that IMSA are doing this. It's not because they need an extra class, because they still have four classes. With you. Now we have uh, LMP3, and P3 is the same speed as a current approximately uh, GTLM. They're doing it because they want to attract um, proper works, manufacturers team, and the activation that goes with it. That's what mm. they want to do. Now, what they they went into lightly. They they they've hemorrhaged a number of teams of manufacturing teams recently. Not really for any other reason than that. Than you know, it's more expensive to buy a GTLM. The car was probably coming to the end of its life cycle, and you know, they wanted to go and do something different. It, you know, if you turn around and go right, you know that GT3 car you've got, you'd vert. Yes. Well, we're going to we're going to fiddle with electronics. We might give you you know all 30 horsepower more with an air restrictor, and you run, you you enter it and run some pro teams, and they're going to go. Once we get our own pro crop for like no pounds, no pence, they're going to go, that's what it's about. It's about getting the manufacturers on board. And I, I, and I do think to work, there needs to be a differentiation. So it needs I to do, be. I agree with that. And, and I think it's very, with a BOP um, environment, it's pretty, pretty easy. You just add the, let's be honest, all the GT3 cars are the lowest powered versions of those cars you can buy, including the road cars. <laughs> yes, that is true. Sure, it's not cheap to do GT Daytona though. Um, Talk to any of the teams, they'll tell you $3.5 million to do, per car, not per driver, per car, to do GT Daytona uh, in IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for a full season this year. Which actually, when you consider there's quite a few long races in that, you might say that per mile, per kilometre, um, and per driver, that that is, that is reasonable value. But it isn't a small amount of money, and my worry is... Um, if the manufacturers decide that they're going to come in, which they've been asked not to do in the past, of course, <laughs> so that's a complete 180 
and and John Doonan was good enough to to say it to us on on the air of the weekend that yes, it was a complete one eighty. But if the manufacturers come in, they've got unlimited spending, and three and a half million or seven million for them is actually neither here nor there. Uh, presuming that they want to buy the cars and run the cars themselves, obviously they may contract somebody to do that. Viz, uh, Core Autosport for for Porsche uh, in the past. Can these two categories sit together? And do you see, I mean, my my worry, and and this is the question I kind of want to ask you because you're close at this. My worry is the manufacturers aren't interested in GT Le Mans. It's not a question of money. Porsche might tell you it's a question of money. It's a question about looking like saving money. Will Porsche come back with a works team because it's GTD, not GT Le Mans? Because it will still look like a works team and they'll still be um, spending a... Uh, insert word here that I can't say on the radio, large amount of money. So are we going to get any more cars in GTD Pro than we've got in GTLM? And if we don't, what's the point of doing it? Yes, we are going to get more cars in GTD Pro. I've already talked to three teams over the, well, during the Rolex alone, I, I was contacted by people who represent three teams that are currently not in IMSA in GTD, who are going to be coming in in GTD Pro. They're interested in that potential opportunity. And they were asking me questions because we were talking about it on air. But in terms of uh, specifically Porsche, we've got factory drivers in the FAF car, in the Wright Motorsport car, um, we didn't have any in TGM, but then we have Team Hardpoint with another factory driver. We already have the presence there. We've already got the money there, whether or not it's directly from the manufacturer. The presence is there. The interest is there. And, yeah, they're, they're going to be showing up. Uh, let's have your thoughts, please, at Specutainment as we head rapidly towards our halftime break at 9 o'clock. I suspect we'll be talking about this in the second hour as well. Um, Tim, where would you like to take us for a quick story before we take our halftime break? We're going to do IndyCar news now. Excellent. And if you remember on last week's show, we uh, revealed uh, who Coin Racing uh, would be having in one of their cars and uh, also said that uh, within a week we'd know who was in the second car. And now we know who's going to be in the second car. Uh, Shea Adam, who's going to be in the second Shea, deal car, uh, well, coin car? Sorry, Nick, go on, you can jump in. No, you, no, you, said, you said Shea Adam, I thought you were announcing that Shea was in the car. Shea Adam's in the car. Uh, she's not driving anywhere, she's just going to be she's sitting in the car. just sitting there keeping the seat warm. I'm, I'm just... I'm just going to sit in it and make race car noises. Uh, no, Roman Grosjean is going to be the driver for the street and um, street and road courses for the Dale Coin with Rick Ware Racing uh, entry. So that's exciting for him, which means that in terms of rookie this year, we've got um, McLaughlin, you know, supercars champ, uh, Johnson, NASCAR champ, and Grosjean, former Formula One driver. That's going to be a fun battle. Uh, uh, when we do our preview and we talk about who's going to be the best rookie, that's going to be interesting. Sorry, Tim, go ahead. Uh, but Nick, uh, he's not going to be doing the oval races. No, it's kind of a growing trend, though, isn't it? Jimmy Johnson's not doing them. Uh, Tom Chilton, uh, Tom Chilton, yes, Max Chilton, sorry, dropped out of them um, last year or year before. I mean, are I they going to I can confirm Tom Chilton's also not doing them. That's true, yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's interesting how more people decide they don't want to do the two-speed way. I think, you know, obviously Texas is a bit weird, but I'm surprised they'll drop out of Indianapolis. It's the whole point of the thing, isn't it? Uh, 
Well, yes. Uh, they but still get to race on the road course at Indianapolis, don't they? Yes, but also there's a big earning opportunity, isn't there, for someone else in the car uh, at yeah. Indy. Indy is very yeah. scary, though, Shea, isn't it? Well, they cancel yep. the seats. You're right there, John. Sorry, yeah, say again, Nick. The teams have no problem selling those seats, do they? They can sell the there seats to, a, to, a, to an upcoming driver. So it's, it's a, financially, it's, it's not a problem to them. It's a shame, actually, they couldn't get two drivers in the car or three because it's their Le Mans, isn't it? That's that's their earner. And a lot of teams share, um, you know, I'm not suggesting for any matter of uh, any moment that teams are living hand-to-mouth in IndyCar, but they're the haves and have-nots. And for some of them that are slightly less of the haves, um, it is... It is something that they build their their season on, getting somebody in the car and a sponsor to go to the Indy 500 year. Oh, totally. And Rick, we're racing uh, and Dale Coin Racing are, are both two teams that are, well, Dale Coin's not new to this. Rick Ware is new to the IndyCar side of things. But Dale Coin very much will appreciate the opportunity to sell that seat for the Indy 500. And that could pay for the team for the rest of the year. Yeah. Absolutely right. It's the it's the Le Mans syndrome. It's midweek motorsport series sixteen. Uh, hang on, Epis- hang on. Oh, right, yeah. uh, and Nick, of course, there is uh, even not doing the ovals. There is some danger for uh, Grosjean, isn't there? Because Marcus Ericsson's still in IndyCar. <laughs> yes, that, any second now he he punted off the track, even though they're not even in the same postcode. Sorry, zip code in America. Very good. Uh, it is series sixteen, episode five. Your tweets, please, on at Spectatement. Oh, is that the end of your sentence? Yes. <laughs> Sounded like it I, I was, to me. I was kind of expecting you to say, uh, and uh, still to come. And in the next hour. Please report any unattended bags to a member of... Oh, hang on. <clears throat> Wrong script. Is Midweek Motorsport and still to come. Very good. That's a new one for 20. No, it's not. 20. Well, is it not? No. Oh, I haven't heard that you for a very long time. You just heard it for a while. Yeah, all right. Uh, That's one of our 2017 new ones. Really? Yeah. Uh, Coming up in our number two, Shea and Nick will stay with us. We'll talk a bit more about GTD Pro uh, with your tweets on at Specutainment, please. We've got some Formula One and some two-wheeled news as well. Uh, But next, uh, we will head back to Rolex, or at least we'll continue our review of the Rolex 24 with the winning team, Acura, powered by HPD. If the technology allows, we'll talk to HPD's president, Dave Salters, to kick off Hour 2 of Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. We head into the second hour of this week's midweek motorsport and we stay on the Rolex theme with our big inter- interview tonight. Welcome to the show and thank you very much for having uh, the time to spend with us, the president of HPD, David Salters. David, how are you? Um, hello, everyone, and uh, hello, thank you, John. I'm doing pretty well. Just come back from a pretty arduous uh, event, uh, but... Stunning event and doing okay. Thank you very much. Uh, an event that was tremendously successful uh, for the Acura prototypes. 
You've won championships in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship before uh, with your uh, partnership with, with Penske. But the big races, the big blue rebound races had eluded you and you kick off 2021 with arguably the biggest race of the year. What what an achievement. You must be delighted. Yeah, very, very delighted. Yeah, it didn't go too badly. So that's that's good. So uh, we all know what racing is like. You uh, you have your good days and your bad days. That was a pretty, pretty good day. That's for sure. And um, like always, it's it's for the people. You know, there's a group of people that work so hard on our side Acura and HPD Wayne Taylor organization stunning Mayor Shank stunning and the time for preparation was short so you know that makes it even sweeter so all good What does that say David about your organization as well as your partner teams that they can take on cars in what September straight after Sebring and get themselves to a to a position where they can take on what was a very competitive DPI field and and run competitively at the front. It's not as if that was handed to you. The, both teams had the pace all the way through. Uh, that must say something about the the design of the car, the support, as, as well as the two partner teams. Well, it's, it's just um, just to backtrack very slightly, we we need to. Massively thank the Penske organization, which again is pure, um, pure world class people because you, you build on foundations. You, you, you know, this game better than I do, it's cumulative. And, um, the smarter you work and the harder you work, the luckier you get. And it's all, it's all foundations that are built. So, firstly, yeah, we had huge success with uh, the Penske guys and girls. And you build on that. So um, that got built on. And then Wayne and Mike took that over and in a very short time got to grips with those cars. And they've got their own experience, different experiences as well. But we need to really thank Roger and um, his guys and um, John Duguid and all those guys. It's the people that make this this game. So we had a foundation to build on and we kept building on it. But then the amount of work that went in over Christmas, especially in COVID, from from uh, Wayne Taylor Racing, Mayshank Racing, and HPD. Remember, we we HPD is an engineering group. We sort out the powertrain. We're involved with the aerodynamics. We look after the electronics and stuff. So it was it was full on. To be honest with you, there wasn't uh, there weren't many days off. So, uh, but that's that's what it's all about. That's why we do it. And uh, to then see that culminate in. Uh, that lovely blue car crossing the line and the first overall win for Acura was, you know, it was, uh, it was delightful. So a lot of, a lot of smiley, happy people. Uh, the, the, the car itself, how similar or different was it from the car that finished uh, at, at Sebring or the cars, I should say. I know the chassis were, were handed over pretty much straight after the Mobile One 12 hours of, of Sebring, David. How, how much, Put into perspective, if you can, how much work went in, or, or were there? I mean, were there new chassis available as well for the new team? So we did. Um, the chassis have a certain life, and so um, there were new chassis, which makes you know, that's a challenge in itself because you're building new cars again in no time. So, so, but you 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 can't you know you go into a 24 hour race as prepared as you can be. Um, so the the 
all teams have their own uh, unique way of working and approaching events. And um, testament to Wayne Taylor Racing, they understand Daytona. Um, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> so, and it, it's, um, again, there's some pretty special people there. Um, it's all people. And they understand how to get the most out of that car at Daytona. So they 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 set that car up to 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 come alive at various points of that race and think ahead and you know use the tires well and racing. And it's a ding dong battle in the last I don't know ten minutes. It was hard. I, it was hard to watch. <laughs> so, stunning. It was great for us. I could tell. I could tell you that I was on for the the last four or five, four and a half hours or so, and I, I barely took a breath when we yeah. finished our post race show. I, I I left the studio, and I still I, I literally had a pain in my chest because I don't think I'd taken a proper breath for for no. for such a such a long time. You've been at HPD uh, five plus years now, um, having been in a variety of, uh, of different roles in motorsport across the world, in, including in Formula One. How, how does what you've been doing in the, your engineering role and now the presidential role at HPD, how does that seem the same or, or, or very different from what you've done in the past? Huh. That's a good question. It's, it's same and different. So we've sort of been building HPD. We've been... We got some stunning people. As I, I keep coming back to people, but racing is all about the people in the end. It's team, it's team, and the smart, smart people in the right places guiding the ship um, is generally what it's all about. The the compare and contrast. The HPD is a perhaps a younger organisation than obviously someone like Ferrari or Mercedes. So we're still growing, but we you know the. We are investing in the people, in the tools. The goal is to be world-class. And we are arguably pretty world-class. We go out and we, you know, we dominated Indeed last year. Doesn't happen very often. So that, and that's just down to people being smart and the right tools and the right process. And, you know, we hold our own uh, very well. We represent Acura. We represent Honda. It's, it's, so they're, the love of work skill is very comparable and perhaps that's where somewhere I can help because I know where we're going and what we're aiming for. And, but it's the guys drive it. So the, the working ethic, the process and stuff is very similar. The culture is a bit different. Honda, Honda has a lovely culture. It's really respectful. It is respect for the individual and it's, you know, it's quite, it's unusual in this day and age of cut and throat business and stuff. So it's is that liberating, David, in some respects that you, that you 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 know you're taking on to do a job and you're allowed to do a job, which sounds obvious, but you and I both know that isn't always the way it happens. It's 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 not, but it's just a general culture. It's lovely. Um, just to be straight as well, working in Ferrari was a dream, and again, the people there are stunning. And the culture there is great. And Mercedes and Ilmore and Cosworth, they're all different. They're all all different type of cultures and stuff. But I have to say HPD and the culture there, it's like a, it's like a sort of startup culture and it's very respectful. So, but, you know, you're always trying to, 
you can always improve. You can always do better. You know, the more the more you understand, the luckier you get. So, well, that's very similar. And it's a racing group. You know, we we they, we're full of racers who want to go racing. Last time Honda had success at Daytona um, was with Tequila Patron with the prototype. Um, that was, I think, I was sixteen, was it? So you would have just, just been at HP. How have things? How have things changed? How has the competition changed since then? Different rule set, of course, but the, I would presume that the quest for for perfection and the quest for performance uh, is still gone about in a, in a similar way down there at Santa Clarita. It, it is um, the we. I guess we were more involved um i mean we we thought the it's a it's an acura uh, based engine so you know that is the heart of an acura the performance but we we turn it into a race engine basically so that was a lot of what we were focused on in the past and supporting that but we've perhaps moved more into the vehicle side as well we look after the the dpi the all the the styling and the top body aerodynamics and stuff was done by our group at HPD with the Acura stylists. So that was quite delightful. And we are more involved with some of the vehicle simulation, etc. So that's quite rewarding because you're more involved with the overall vehicle. The, you have the base chassis, but we've helped a lot with a lot of some of the vehicle engineering as well as the powertrain, which is sort of our, you know, that's our um, core, one of our core strengths, but we've built on that over the years. So testament Again, testament to the foresight and you know, where we want to go. Really, we it, it's to go racing these days is a sum of parts. You need to understand all the car. So we're trying to understand. There's the powertrain. There's the aerodynamics. There's the tire behaviour. There's the vehicle dynamics. You've, you've got to try and contribute in all areas. So that's where we're working on. It's a, it's the whole car that gets across the finish line, and it's it's the sum of those parts that make the difference. Uh, David Salters, president of HPT, is with us on Midweek, Midweek Motorsport. It's our big interview as we're looking back at Daytona and all things uh, sports car racing. It was a big week uh, in so many different ways for Daytona. First of all, we got the season off, uh, and kudos to everybody uh, who did that. Uh, how was the move of the Raw closer to how did that affect preparation for you and your your partner teams effectively we had a sort of a 10 11 day festival of of motorsport at daytona this year rather than the weekend in between that we normally do did that work for you or did it cause problems i i think well testament uh, again hats off to imsa they they pulled the blinder there to organize all that especially in the current climate so hats off to imsa i thought it was quite good personally um it's, it actually helped also the fact that there was the sprint race helped understand the cars because a lot of the teams, these cars came together at the last minute. Under, so that I think that helped. Um, I, I thought it worked well. I mean, different people have different opinions, but personally, I thought it worked well. We could um, concentrate it. Also, with COVID, it, it, it kept it safe, trying to do it in a short time spell. You can get a feeling for your car under race conditions, and a lot of people had to... Uh, poop a miracle to make those cars happen to be honest that's a polite way of saying that I think so they, they, you know there was a lot of it's like a dog isn't it it looks calm on the surface there was a lot of flapping around underneath so so uh, yeah, I thought I thought IMSA did exceptionally well I thought the event was great 
you didn't know how the LMP cars were going to interact, LMP3 cars going to interact. I thought it worked really well, personally. I thought, well, was it an exciting race or not? Yeah, I thought it was a stunning race. I mean, it was even exciting at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Tell me about it. I was on at that time when we took over from the NBC guys for the uh, for the US feed. They went off uh, and we took over for three hours between three three and six uh, and did the TV job as well as our, our own. And there was plenty of things going on right throughout the five classes. You're absolutely, absolutely right. Um, big, bigger week, two weeks nearly in, in that respect. Also, a couple of big announcements, one from IMSA, which we'll talk about in a moment, if you don't mind, uh, David. Uh, Also, from HPD and and from Acura, uh, committing to the top class of prototype into the new regulation set. IMSA's vision of the top class of prototypes, uh, originally called DPI 2.0, at least that was the working title. It's been... um, resolved that that will be LMDH. But that was IMSA's kind of idea, and it was such a good idea that the ACO, the WEC, have taken that on as well to combine that with their ideas too. Um, How easy or difficult a decision do you think that was? Um, You're having success now. Clearly, you want to keep that success going. And, And how influential was the addition of of hybrids into that new set of regulations for the decision from Acura and HPD to be made. Okay, so let me let me chop that up a bit. The Acura Acura is a performance brand, and it's been pretty serious about sports car racing for thirty years. So it's it's authentic. So the decision itself is not so hard and very consistent. It's delightful. The John Aikido is the brand. He's, he's a racer. He's awesome. I mean, he, we were coming back and forwards. He is awesome. So, and it's what Acura stands for performance. So that is pretty straightforward. And we're supporting, we've been supporting the sports car series through just wanting to go and compete because it makes you better. So that bit, you've got to understand how the rules work, what the pros and cons are, the capability. I mean, can you afford it in this day and age? It's not easy days. So, you know, how do you balance your budget? And we have tremendous support from Acura because they, they're about performance. So that is straightforward. Then HBD looks after the motorsport in North America for Acura and Honda. So we had to evaluate very carefully, you know, the, the, technical details um of the formula um you know does that work for us and then that that's okay and we were involved with the rulemaking and twgs and sim groups so we tried to contribute uh, as best we could and be sort of good citizens because we all want great sports car racing and then the electrification aspect is crucial because you know we want to be responsible and we want to race responsibly and we want to push the technology that's what that's what racing's for. So I think that was pretty crucial. So all in all, um, you know, uh, a, a weighty decision, but pretty, you know, straightforward. And we have tremendous support from Acura. It's a performance brand. And you'll see some awesome. This year, Acura comes back with Type S. So there's a TLX Type There's an MDX. So they, they're also awesome cars. So go and buy one. <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> Well, you've got to, you've, every 
OEM, every manufacturer has got to justify what they do in in motor racing, and and that is about getting their brand out there and getting people enthused about it. And anybody who's thinking about buying a car, I always say. You know, if you're not supporting the brands that are racing in the championships that that you're watching and enjoying, then you're signing away your birthright there. So no, I have no problem, no problem <laughs> with that. You talk, you talked about the the T. Um, TWGs, the technical working groups. Um, I get the sense, and I'm not involved. I, I I hear certain things, but I'm not inside the walls. But we talk to people, obviously. I get the sense the way that IMSA go about things is looking for consent and a collegiate atmosphere between their OEMs, which brings about the kind of changes in regulations that we're moving towards now that that everyone can get behind and indeed will almost certainly bring in some new manufacturers. I know from working with other championships around the world that that's not always the case. And if there's 10 manufacturers or 10 teams there, you'd get 10 different sets of manufacturers because they want to find the advantage in whatever they've, they've got. Is, is that somewhere close to the truth? Are we getting this collegiate, let's do it all for the sport kind of thing, idea in the, in the TWGs, the technical working groups for IMSA? There's different styles of doing stuff. I'm, I'm involved in technical working groups with the FIA, with IMSA, with IndyCar, with there's, there's different styles. But generally, I'll, I'll be straightforward. The people are, there's some good people leading those groups and they, they understand, you know, we, we go motor racing to give joy to people, to make it, it's got to be fun, isn't it? It's meant to be fun. It's exciting and fun. So they understand that too. Give credit where credit's due. IMSA is, uh, Simon um, is is brilliant at IMSA and is very, very uh, thoughtful and sensible. And you've got Thierry at the ACO and Gilles at the FIA. These guys all understand. They've, they've been at the pointy, sharp end of motor racing. They they get it. So it's easy. I got. It's so lovely to work with them. Um, they just... They have foresight. They've been there. They've been in the trenches. They understand it. So, actually, uh, again, credit to ACO, um, IMSA, and uh, FIA with with the LMDH stuff. It's been immensely constructive. You know, people are trying to do things that make sense and are affordable. You have to be able to afford it. And so, I mean, we have a I have the utmost respect for the the guys. Um, Simon, Matt, Inter, John, they, they're great custodians of the sport. So that's that's easy. That's our day-to-day stuff. Good. Also, Thierry and Gilles at uh, ACO and FIA, uh, I, I know them. I'm, I work for Gilles. He was my boss at Ferrari. He's uh, an engineer's engineer. So uh, so, um, so they're, they're all custodians of the sport. They're trying to do the right thing. They get a lot of... We don't help them. <laughs> you imagine everyone is looking. It's like herding cats. I, I, I have the utmost sympathy for them. <laughs> we, you know, you, we're, we're carnivorous racers. We want to win. There's all that sort of stuff in the background. But they, they know how to herd the cats. No. So, and, okay. and we know. We, we contribute. I mean, we're on the PWG Sim Group. We I feel a responsibility to have a sensible outlook for the good of the sport because without the sport being competitive, you're wasting your efforts and your investment anyway. 
Come so make, make it good enter- it's entertainment in the end we got we have to have a responsibility to try and make it entertaining I I, I I wholeheartedly agree with all of that it's a job I would never want to do even if I had the technical nous which I certainly uh, I, I certainly don't um, in, in terms of the new regulations for IMSA uh, Daytona 2023 is in development terms really just around the corner. Uh, and the basis of the car is a new LMP2 chassis. Um, not looking for any secrets here uh, at all, David. But how quickly do you have to start making decisions now to get cars to customers in time to have them on the grid at Daytona 2023 and competitive by then? You, you, you can't. You can't be sort of, oh, hang on, we'll wait another six or eight months until we see how each of these different chassis play out. That, that's, that, that's time you just don't have, is it? No, y- yesterday was the answer for your question. The, the, the clock started ticking. Um, you know, you've got a whole new chassis. You've got to evaluate powertrain, hybrid, uh, electronics. Aero has got to be, read the styling of these cars is going to be pretty cool. So they're, you know, they're probably more dramatically styled than the current ones. So it's from zero. So you think how long that is to, if it was yesterday, everyone had to start. So, so, so uh, we're very lucky. We've got great support. We've started, um, other people have started, um, you know, Porsche and Audi are hard at it. We're getting going. Hopefully, you know, there'll be other more momentum. So it was yesterday you had to start. So uh, pretty much all now. Now, now is you know the the the, the starting pistol just got going, and you got to and the constructors, the constructors have been hard at it for a little while. Yeah. And so they 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 sort of got a head start, but they, it's huge. It's a big task. If that's just around the corner then literally about to hit you in the face in a year's time is a change to GT regulations announced uh, last week at Daytona by by IMSA. GTD Pro, um, a GT3 platform, uh, no GTLM anymore, which you guys haven't been involved with, but you have got a GT3, a GT Daytona product, and customers therein. Um, how does that, if at all, affect what you're doing with your customers, and does it open the door for an, an accurate NSX works team to be jumping in with an all pro lineup? And is that, in fact, even something that is on your radar, or is it all customer facing? Well, we we we've always had it focused. Um, we're, we're trying to, you know, we we support. So actually, within HVD, we sort of support with yes, we support it globally. So it's been a customer program globally, sort of from the get-go, which is lovely. That helps get nice big feels of GT3 cars, GTD cars. So we, our model is more towards the customer model. Well, it is the customer model. We, um, we obviously uh, Acura, and uh, has had great success again um, with our GTD with uh, Mike, Mike Shank, Mike Shank, and so that that's great. Um, but we, we have a customer model. So really, we, we're going to do everything we can to support our customers. What our customers want to do, well, we'll find out, I guess. But we're, we're, we're in sort of GT3, GTD racing for customer customer sort of um, support and participation. And, you know, again, it shows accurate performance in Europe. It shows 
NSX Honda performance and in Japan. But we we want to support our customers really. So, but then, so I, I don't, you know, it's what they want to do. I guess we'll have some discussions. But um, from our point of view, we're we're looking at the customer side of this room. David, appreciate your time. I can only imagine how busy things are um, already. Uh, to be honest, even before the all the the new things that you've 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 got to look after. Well done. Great start to the season. It's going to be a, a tough season, of course, a, across the whole IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, whatever class you and your customers are racing in. Really appreciate the time you've taken. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, we'll check in with you again, if you don't mind, sometime uh, in the rest of the season. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who follows uh, sports car racing. Thank you to performance you saw that at the weekend and thank you to, to to you and your team for promoting the sports car racing so well we uh, you you are the voice of sports car racing i love hearing you and we can find out what's actually going on thank you thank you david of course we can't do it with you and and your your team as well and trust me it isn't a chore it really isn't not when we get races like we had at the weekend uh president of ht hpd david salt is joining us on midweek motorsport tim gray where would you like to take us next in the motorsport world well absolutely i'd like to take you uh to espana but only for the purposes of the source of this next bit of script no te fías en espanol for midweek motorsport. I love how we come off a really sensible interview and go straight into news in Spanish. That's what makes this show. What's what's not sensible about news in Spanish? We are providing a a much-needed service, expanding the information we can provide even out of the English language. Honestly, Don, don't don't sell short news in Spanish. Spanish is the fourth most spoken language in the world. Some people mm-hmm. would argue it's the third most spoken language in the world, but uh, remember that a well, lot of those versions uh, of it, though, isn't there? A lot of those Spanish speakers spend their lives sitting under trees with big hats on, so not listening to us. Well, Todo está dado para que la novela de Formula One llegue a su fin. Se trata de la renovación de contrato de Lewis Hamilton con Mercedes. Nick. Okay. Well, it's, it's a little bit, little bit creepy, isn't it? It, it, it? It's that they're writing a new novel uh, based on Huckleberry Finn, uh, which is going to be had the main characters being Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. Um, so I'm not sure which one's Huck and which one is, is the guy who he, he goes down the river with, but there we go. I, I didn't get that at all. Um, well, I, yeah. I, I, I those, think di- those it, damn it, different dialects, eh? Well, in, in South American Spanish, I, <laughs> I think that because um, there's, there are 21 countries in the world that speak Spanish. Only one of them is Spain. Mm. Um, That's not even the biggest uh, one. No, 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 not by a long stretch of the imagination. Um, I think that they're offering prayers to find out if, if, if we can get some kind of, of direction as to when <laughs> Lewis Hamilton's going to finally sign his contract. Ooh. Yeah. Según informó el medio británico The Sun, Hamilton ya entró en la cuenta regresiva y la fecha máxima que le puso Mercedes es el second de marzo, el mismo día que se conocerá como es el flamente monoposto de la escudería Teutona. So which way do you think that's going now then, Nick? 
Well, I think it's still they're all you talk about movie rights, and they're going to make another version of um, of the Gladiator, and Lewis Hamilton is going to be Maximo Fatio, um, son of a son of a four-jobbed uh, father, mm-hmm. uh, son of a woman who was married to him um, from the from the slums of. Um, Stephen, as you call, so it's yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a great start to uh, the idea that the novel now is is starting with this gladiatorial battle that Lewis be fighting, possibly against Russell Crowe, has put on some weight these days, so it won't be too hard. It's put on the whole COVID 19 from all of us. Shea Adam is still with us, who actually does speak fluent South American Spanish. Uh, so, what do you is, is the request here, Shea? Hello, Shea. Oh. She's not still with us. She's not with us. After still... the weekend, you'd think I would learn to unmute my mic. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, there, it definitely is Lewis with this this movie idea. And, and they talked about him needing to go fetch the best matzo bread. So clearly in this quest to try and find a, a mate, he's also looking for uh, food for the Jewish feast coming up. Methodeth es el cuarto equipo de diez que confirma la presentación de su ato. En febrero lo harán McLaren y 15 y Alfa Romeo siete días más tarde. El first de marzo será el turno de Ferrari y en la jornada siguiente se conocerá el cock alemán. So, the Maso spread is, is, is mentioned again there, Nick, in that, but you're dismissing that, aren't you? Well, because well, they mentioned, of course, one of the issues with matzo bread. It has, it's got um, too many additives. There was mention of E15, wasn't there? Which is not an additive you should be eating with matzo bread or anything else Very as well. Very good. Um, you know, they were also talking about the alphabet being the most slow, which is a bit unfair. I think they're having a bit of a dig there, and they've got it slightly wrong. I think they're trying to have a dig at Toto by calling him a, 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 the cock of Germany. Of course, everyone knows he's Austrian, so that's not really fair, is it? No, indeed so. Well, you know, cock of the north. Um many pubs. Uh, uh, moving on. Do you want another paragraph of this, really? La pretemporada comenzará el 12th de marzo en el Autodromo de Montmeo en Barcelona. Sorry, Barcelona. Uh, y se extenderá por dos días más. El campeonato está previsto arrancar el 28th de próximo mes en Bahrain. Right. See, now we find out what it's really all about. It's all about a mobile phone company who is trying to get into Formula One and can't do it. They've been shut out completely, and they're going to try and do it by becoming a personal sponsor of Lewis. And the first time that this is going to come out is when they go testing in Barcelona, which has a new corner, Nick Dearman. Well, it has a revised turn 10 where they've made it even less likely everyone's going to overtake. So it's designed for more for MotoGP, mm-hmm. but, um, for a, a better corner for them. Turn 10 is the, the corner at the end of the second bit of um, DRS, The middle straight. The middle yeah. straight, yes. The last tight one, one, yes. It's, it's the plus now 90. It's not not it's anymore. Plus 90. I see. Mm. What they've done is, it, it, it's actually, it's an awful corner. We've all driven round it. And in... it's still an awful corner after the revamp. No, it's not, actually. Oh, it is. For overtaking, it is. No, but I'll tell you what it does. To... Right, so first of all, the the way it was, you had to brake, brake, brake to virtually walking pace and then turn in. And then you accelerated hard up the hill. And depending on what type of car, for Formula 1, it didn't matter. But for other types of cars, the little left kink before the right-hander at 
12 that went up over the brow. That little left kink was really interesting, whether you could take it flat or whether you had to lift off. They basically completely negated that. So you, they haven't just changed one corner, they've changed two. So it's not just turn 10, it's turn 10 and 11. And 11's mm. effectively disappeared, Nick, because what you've got is this sweeping left-hander that starts to climb up the hill. And they will be going like the clappers when they get up not to, to the top of the hill. Well, so they're going to be further apart before the only one chance they've got to overtake with these current regulations on the main straight. So, you know, I understand why they've done it. It's not a very clever piece of redesign. They should have thought about it a bit better. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. Well, they that, should just that, take the last chicane out if they really want people to be closer together. Well, no, they should redesign the chicane. They won't be close together. If you don't, if you don't if you let, take the chicane now. It's, it's all long, fast, sweeping stuff. You can't get near anyone in 160-mile-an-hour corners. What happens if they, they should have just gone straight on there, shouldn't they, for Formula One? Straight on, and then had the chicane. Yeah, they should have gone straight on and, and gone a little bit further south and gone to Portimao. <laughs> no, no, because they're pointing the wrong direction at that point. They're pointing the road Are to they? the Pyrenees. You know that. You've been there. If they'd gone straight on at the end of that straight... And then had the chicane, and then looped, which really slowed them down, so you get close, and then looped round onto the start finish straight and cut out that hole. Oh no, hang on a second. Why could they not do that? Because there's a railway that... line there. No, 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 no. It's not the railway line at all. No... It's where all of Stand. the grandstands are. All the grandstands are up there. You know, not the matters much this year. No, I mean, I, I, they've done it for, uh, in many ways, for safety reasons in MotoGP because that that sharper corner was causing issues. That's fair enough, but it doesn't help the racing. But, you know, we've all decided, of course, that um, it's going to be, we're all going to be saved by the 2022 regulations. So let's see if we are. Okay. Okay. Uh, Shea, we're going to let you go now. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thanks for your hard work at the weekend. Thanks, guys. Talk to S- you soon. See you later. Thank you. Shea Adam uh, joining us from the uh, US. couple of uh, tweets before we move any further into F1 and bike uh, news. Uh, Crotch Belt, hello Crotch Belt, says the Mazda MX-5 race has further proved that huge power and 200 mile an hour speeds are not a requirement for great racing. Isn't that the truth? Uh, hello to Screezilla listening from Adelaide, uh, if a little late for the first time this year. Carl. I need a note to explain your lateness. Jonathan Main says, will the IMSA GT3 follow the rule set of DTM? Maybe. Uh, we don't know what the rule set will be. Um, Kevin Payne, another one who was pleasantly surprised how the MX-5 performs on the banking. Ian McCarthy says, there will have to be GTD um, winners and podium prizes uh, as per other split GTD uh, GTD series or GT3 series. Um, the difference in the likely draw between SRO American IMSA, surely iconic races like Daytona Sebring and the LM, the Mon crossover that SRO lacks. That is true. I had a long conversation with somebody earlier this week about the inability of SRO to create their own iconic events. They've got Spa, which they've transformed from a touring car race. Well done them. They jumped on the back of uh, Bathurst, which already existed, but particularly in the States, they have not been able to create a Blue Riband event. They need to create a spa-type event in North America, and they haven't. Uh, 
Ah, oh, William Brunner says, good opportunity finally forced Lexus not a factory team in GTT to be a proper factory team. Yes, true. Could happen. Uh, already plenty of factory blessed GTD, uh, GT3 GTD teams that are factory in all but name, says Ella Filipponi. Uh, the question is how many teams are in, in the States are willing to come over and play. Surely great potential. Uh, Michael Denny, as we pointed out in the collective this past weekend, BMW are only entering IMSA Endurance because they can't afford replacement bodywork for a full season. He says, on a serious note, will GDD probably be eligible for Le Mans? How will they will be? Michael and everybody else who are talking about Le Mans, GT, if this is happening in IMSA now, I will guarantee you it's going to happen. ACO will follow along. This will be the GTD. The, the GTD will be the GT category at Le Mans within a couple of seasons. Uh, there's a new GT3 set of regulations that are more technically based rather than um, what was the word I used at the weekend? Compliance based. Um, and they have been worked on at the moment. They've been put back from 2022 to 2023. I would be stunned if what is now GTE is still at the morning in 2023. Quite honestly. Although I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that. Well, I am, but I'm not going to say it here. Uh, David 2 Bruce says the IMSA GTD Pro strategy seems completely opposite to the LMD Age strategy in terms of convergence with WEC and Le Mans, of course, they understand what they're doing, but the France is most, most frustrating. See above comment, uh, Dave. Um, ACO will follow along. Uh, your tweets, please, at, uh, at IMSA. Sorry, at IMSA Racing. That tells you how, how much I was uh, at IMSA Racing, I was going to say. At Specutainment. Um, tells you how much broadcasting we did on RS2 at the weekend. Tim Gray, what do you have for us? Where are we go? Were you ever a fan of uh, any uh, Australian soap operas? Oh, Neighbours, mate. I was ill. I was ill when Neighbours first started, and I was off off work for quite a long time. Seriously, actually. Can we turn Nick up so that everyone can hear him? No, no, I have done that already, Tim, if you just waited a peek or a second. I used to tape it in the 80s. I watched the whole... I watched the whole of the first... I, one of my specialist subjects used to be the early neighbours. I can tell you whose number everybody lived at. So, yes, I was. And before that, I loved the Sullivans as well. Yes. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, it was good, the Sullivans. And a country practice. I like that one as well. Oh, did when, you? That wasn't one of mine. No. That was on the afternoons. When uh, Johnny and I, Johnny Palmer and I, uh, went to uh, Australia uh, on our grand tour, um, we actually visited uh, while we were in Melbourne. We obviously did all the uh, Erinsborough sites, but we also visited the location where they filmed the external uh, shots of the house in the Sullivans. Only to find this has been knocked down. Ah, no way. Well, it's a long time since the war, isn't it? Well, it is a long One time. One of the reasons but... I like Bathurst is because a lot of the architecture reminds me of classic Australian post-war yes. architecture. And it is lovely. It is lovely for that with the the verandas and uh, it is just. Um, oh, uh, Johnny Palmer and I could wax lyrical about the architecture opposite the um, the Bathurst Railway Museum because it is absolutely in and of its time. Did it have it's trams beautiful. there as well? They did not have trams there, but the, the mm. Railway Museum at Bathurst. <laughs> when we saw it, we had a little sneak preview of it last 
at this time last year. Mm. For goodness, um, it was it was magnificent. Ted the Toyman, who is Australian, says Kingswood County is the greatest Australian TV series. Ted, I have no idea of that one. Never heard of it. I N- never came to this country. Need to find out. Wasn't the Ted? Was it not a Ted Grundy one? Was it Ted Grundy who did all the Reg others? Grundy. Yeah, Grundy Reg Grundy. Reg Grundy. Ted Grundy was a character in the Archers. Yes, but I was Same Grundy. Thing. I was right. It was Grundy Productions. It was in the back of my mind somewhere. I need to now look that up. The thing I liked about the Sullivans was that the uh, actress who played the lead character decided to leave at the end of the first year. Uh, and uh, rather than replace her, they wrote a storyline where she went to Europe, pre-recorded a whole load of scenes with her sitting uh, on a telephone, just nodding, um, and then inserted that over the next two years' worth of episodes. <laughs> That's excellent production. We need to t- we need to do that with with some of you guys, Nick. I think. Yeah, no issue. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we're massively uh-huh. beating ourselves mm-hmm. up for so many years. Yes, absolutely. No, I'm I'm not sure that that's true though. Was it not 1987? You know that. Well, just... the, way, the way I saw it, he was completely to blame. Yeah. <laughs> we could save so much production. The other thing about the Sullivans anyway. was obviously it was uh, based around the Second World War, and yet it ran for yep. seven years. I'm sorry, has no one told Australia that the war finished? Well, if you're in America, it was a lot shorter than that as well. They were all queuing to get their passports, apparently. Heartbreak High, apparently, was an, another one. Yeah, uh, that came to over watch. to the UK. Uh, that why was on BBC so, Two. Younger demographic. Why? Sorry, excuse me. I've, I've, we have I've gone off on so a massive tangent. This. The whole point of this was to say that uh, the annoying oh, thing stop, about... stop, stop, stop. Jill's out of bridge. Surely prisoner cell block H needs protected status. Many a late night viewing in my... That was, that, that was the late night stuff. All the previous stuff was the lunchtime and afternoon stuff. Correct. That that was the scenery moved more than some of the act, actors in, in the cell block H. Sorry, Tim, why, why are we talking about Aussie soaps? All of these Australian soap operas used to take a massive hiatus at Christmas while they all went on holiday. Um, yeah. Mostly they came to Britain and did Panto, but... Um, no, no, they didn't. <laughs> it's behind us now, though. <laughs> uh, anyway, a similar Australian production that's taken a massive hiatus over Christmas is on the grid, but it returns tomorrow <laughs> at 9 o'clock here on RS1. Oh, my God, that was all for that? Are you yes. kidding me? <laughs> that, was, you do, that was 45 seconds in the script. We've done seven minutes. Excellent. Brilliant. Don't worry, your However, tweet about GTD was five minutes and it went on for 20. So. Well, in fairness, though, in fairness, our uh, Aussie listeners will, uh, and, and people of a certain age who, was, who were watching daytime television in the early, early year, Tenth of Time had sent me now a link to Kingswood County, which I am now going to watch. Uh, not right now. What was the New Zealand based police? Shortland Street. Shortland Street. Oh, there we go. Top. T- top telly trivia from Tim. Well, uh, it's, it's, you know, if I was going to, you know, you, you, he spe- I'm sure Tim's special, it's obviously junior single seaters and telly trivia. Yes. Uh, what are they talking about this on, on Thursday? Well, Tim. there's only one story in Australia that's week, in Australia right. this week, and that's Jamie Winkup. Uh, yep. So listen tomorrow at 9pm. And before that is 8, it's episode 3 of the Simcast. Uh, and Matt and Jordan are on this week, and uh, they've sent me... 
um, an idea of what's going to be on the show, but it's in such small writing, we're going to have to really squint to see it. But they're talking about <laughs> Formula E Accelerate Round 1, uh, right, Virtual right. Grand Prix Round 1, Gran Turismo 7, a new Ooh. patch for iRacing with nothing of merit to discuss. Okay, no, no, They probably no, no, won't no, 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 talk no, no, about that, to be honest. Um, and uh, GT World Challenge Europe in uh, Assetto Corsa. Assetto Corsa, hang on, Assetto Corsa has just come out on pl- on um, Console. consoles, mm. which, which they said they would never, ever do. That tells you how can't consoles cross play, are cross-play, though. That's the problem. You can't what? Can't cross-play. So if you're on a, co- a console, you can't play against someone who's on oh. a PC. Right, no, that's, okay. That is the holy grail of um, console desire is to get the online fraternity as good as the pc fraternity and so far i don't think I, I, some of it's not done for technical reasons and something not done for commercial reasons sony won't do it for some reason obviously xbox being you know pc are more keen but there's, there are many things that there are problems with lag and everything else technically but cross but they're great those guys know more about it but crossplay is the thing that everyone's after uh this from jack martin that massive tangent for a cross promotion Classy, and uh, he's crying with laughing as he's emoji. And Brody, hey Brody, how you doing, mate? Uh, absolutely brilliant segue. Can't possibly forget where it was leading us. Uh, Alan Prosser says lots of heartbreak high actors ended up in neighbours. Well, you can say that about the Sullivans as well. Mm. I used to say at one stage, in fact, and in fact, my my good wife. Um, I don't have a bad wife. It's just my wife, and she's very good. Um, I would often say about various parts of the world, there were only 49 actors in X country. And I think that is particularly true of Australia. Um, uh, that that there was there was a very small cabal of actors who did very well out of some of those those mm. soaps. Uh, let's uh, let's move on for the last 10 minutes of the show and drag ourselves We back. were doing some Formula One news, which is why we've got Nick Damon... Yes, hang on. Uh, it's now officially our time to go to Formula One, and our Formula One correspondent is Nick Damon. And I'm taking a break because there's no real news. I'm not going to. I'm not going to excite <laughs> the public with any sort of build-up because literally nothing has happened. No, somebody must have said something about. Oh, lots somebody. of people have said oh, lots sorry, of things. Eddie Jordan's. Been, Eddie Jordan's been spouting off rubbish. He's been brilliant. He's been contradicting himself in two different interviews, which is fantastic. We're, stuff. we're not going to talk about anything that Eddie Jordan said. I want you to tell <laughs> me why Lawrence Stroll is going to sell Aston Martin to the Chinese. He's not. He just says it's a category not true. Uh, he vehemently denied the takeover was in the works. Yes. Um, he He's said, going to sell it to the Germans. He said he it's absolute bull and totally untrue. I, lo- I simply lost you there. The, the, I, I think the, I might have leaned on my microphone real... switch. <laughs> the real news is being filled by a constant stream of articles where ex-racing driver from the incredibly obscure, like Arturo Mazzario, to the relatively well-known, uh, like Jacques Villeneuve, is just spouting on about Lewis's contract. And it's and it's like, oh, jeez. Uh, Pierre Gasly has finished sixth. Yes, in the COVID race. Yep. Because he went to the cesspit that is Dubai. Well, it's not a cesspit, it's lovely Dubai, but it's just something to disease wise has been having a bit of a bad time. Uh, you know we, I've got my hands over my head right now, don't you, Nick? 
I know, but it's it hasn't had a good time with influencers and sports personalities and people um, who went to celebrate New Year ending up infected. Mm. Can't deny it. I mean, it's, it's where it is. That's three of them who've now caught it there. So how many uh, uh, Formula One, um, which did such a good job last year um, in in getting their season on around the world, albeit predominantly in Europe. Um, but that, and I don't, I, sorry, I, 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 that sounded like I, that was a criticism. I didn't mean to be like that. Um, however, all of a sudden, at the end of the season, um, having had very few, Nick, um, incidents of infection, mm. it's all gone a bit wrong, hasn't it? Well, I don't, I, it, 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 you have to question why of a pool of 22, 23 drivers, 23 people drove an F1 car last year and six of them that have had the tested positive. Um, it's better than 25% then, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, this bit, I, yeah so that's I massively up on the uh, on the population in general. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, if you look at what um, the guys do, they travel around a lot, um, and, and by the very nature, there's a lot of pressing of flesh and people coming up and saying hello to them, whether they want them to or not. You know, you can see how that might happen. I would agree with you in any other form of motorsport, but there's not that much pressing of flesh because well, Formula is, One drivers are are notoriously <laughs> reluctant to do any PR stuff. So a, any opportunity to get out of it, and it's not as if they fly commercial, is it? No, but if you look at the stuff which the, the, which came with Pierre, if you, you then looked at his social Gasly. media, at, at Gasly, there's there's quite a lot of pictures of him doing selfies with people in you know in various places, and they're not wearing masks. And I think go at anybody because no one's breaking a rule no, doing no, that. No, 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 not but at all. That's you, you go okay, fine. So you've gone there. The prevalence in that area shot up dramatically. You know, you went there, it was fine. You know, as we know, suddenly it was fine. Tuesday, you couldn't come back. And Wednesday, were, and the Friday, Friday, you weren't even allowed to go. You know, so it's the world we're in. But luckily, they were getting better, which is the key point. Uh, you mentioned Turn 10 at Barcelona, Nick. Which other circuits having a bit of a revamp this year? Well, theoretically, and much better news, Albert Park. Um, due to the fact it's now at the back of the, the, the planned uh, revisions which were going to take place in 2022 may now be brought forward 2021 to try and, um, again, promote some form of overtaking, mostly looking at the back of the track. If, you, if you've ever driven it virtually or whatever, there's I've a kind of a sweep and, then a, and a couple of and a chicane and it, it breaks the whole thing up. And they're trying to find a way of smoothing that out whilst um, retaining enough runoff. I went, to sc- I went to school with a lad called Albert Park once. I uh, had no interest in Formula One. Uh, which which uh, track isn't even going to be built? Rio. Her yeah. name is Rio, and she's staying a forest. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. Given up on it. It's the replacement track. Yep. They gave up on it um, because they didn't. Want, they didn't they, again trying to find a use for the Olympic Stadium. I think Brazil, obviously, like another place, has got different priorities at the moment. They, they've got the Grand Prix secured in, in Sao Paulo. Um, it was a political hot potato for a number of reasons, um, including where they were building it and what they were going to knock down to build it. And then at the end of the day, what was it going to provide them with? You know, so I think that, you know, despite all the the intra inter what's an intercity obviously inter Nissan, but it was an intercity battle call. You know, if you, yeah, it was like, what would that be? Sao Paulo v Rio. What would you call that? Inter-urban. Local derby. 
Interurban, that's it. Apart from that, it's a very good point. Apart from the interurban, like local interurban battle, I mean, there's no real point. They've got if someone can now take the money and spend a little bit in updating um, into Lagos facility because the track's absolutely fine um, as a design, then we'll be all be happy. Uh, let's move on to DTM and uh, AF Corsa are running a Red Bull run. Uh, sorry, a Red Bull uh, financed Alpha Tauri branded. Ferrari 488 GT3 car for Alex Albon and Nick Cassidy and uh, yes. well three three cars Liam Lawson but Liam Lawson's them. in a um, in a Red Bull branded one whereas Albon and Cassidy are in the Alpha Tauri branded one but they are yeah. three cars they're no, not there's sharing two cars. a car Albon they and are. Cassidy oh, are sharing a car because neither of them is available for the full season ah ok sorry because Nick Cassidy can't the do the events where he's at Formula E and Alex Albon can't do the ones where he's at Formula 1 even if his Formula 1 role does involve a lot of standing around and not actually being in a car true okay so two cars three drivers and uh, watch the cards uh, find the lady uh, you know I'll be careful well the only the only interesting thing is that they chose to do a Ferrari because obviously they, they would have, I'm sure anything other than a, a Mercedes would have been fine under for them to run in GT3. Whose engines do they use? Well, these well, could no, be Ferrari engines. At the moment, which are going to be theirs, so why they? didn't they use an NSX? I, I think the answer is, of course, are running it. So it becomes a very low ma- low maintenance situation that just involves writing a check. Hmm. I, don't, I, I must. I don't really understand the point of this, but I suppose it's just to get some marketing to Germany. Perhaps they will actually open some more Alpha Tauri shops. Retail's all online these days, Nick. Well, bricks and mortar, apparently. You know, we've got GameStop as a place to be. <laughs> hmm. Time to short it again. Uh... <laughs> oh, I didn't know you were a hedge fund. <laughs> I like a hedge. I about to say, is it time to hedge or fund your hedge now you've uh, you built your pizza oven? I, I need to uh, remove some hedge and uh, put up some fence uh, in its place. But enough about that. Uh, we had one other uh, bit about DTM. Oh, yes, DTM. Uh, where's the season starting and when? Don't know, don't know. Monza in uh, June. Really? With Central Germany. M- Monza in June with the lead pipe. Is it? I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Just get up like that. Shall we move to two wheels quickly? Very quickly. Uh, uh, I mean, it's not really two wheel news. It's calendar news. Ah, uh, you do like you do like a nice calendar, Tim. Let, don't you? let Tim run this. It is calendar news, or, or what on earth is going on with the calendar news? MotoGP Thailand is not going to happen again. Or is it? Oh, you think they, they it might this do? Morning, no, they said this morning that calling it off was a mistake and they didn't mean to call it off. <laughs> Hang on. Sorry, we didn't mean to call it off. It's back on it was, again. Oh, I it's think, not back on. Not they sure, just didn't mean to. I oh, didn't mean to call sure it off. It was a mistranslation. Okay. It was a result of a misunderstanding. <laughs> Spokesman for Burnham said it, it, wasn't, it wasn't actually cancelled. Uh, yeah, right. Bruno's definitely off because they've definitely not got the money to resurface it. So that's definitely not happening. And there's a lot of doubt about Qatar. Bit, bit like the roads around Northamptonshire. I had to go out this afternoon, and I've forgotten how bad 
There's no way I'm taking my bike out there. There's 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 potholes big enough to lose my bike in, oh, and yeah, it's a BMW sixteen hundred. Um, just so you know, there's also because um, this applies across a couple other series as well. Is I know we had. To, I don't want to talk about COVID. We've got one of the problems. One of the major issues in COVID at the moment is is Portugal's doing a, having some problems with the Brazilian variant, which has made it a bit of a an outcast in the international community, even in Europe mm. at the moment. Um, there is already a contingency plan for um, F1 to do the double at Bahrain again and skip Portimao. Oh, that's a shame. round. Oh, that contingency plan, and. The other, and there's also an issue where, of course, Portimao is supposed to be visited by both um, MotoGP quite early on and, of course, WEC. WEC's opening round, which allows Glickenhaus, as we mm. had been predicted for some and time, Prologue. to do a full season. But, uh, yeah, yeah things, exactly. Things are very fluid on that situation. But at the moment, um, uh, guys, just to give you an idea, uh, I think is it Arsenal, Arsenal and um, Porto, or Arsenal and uh, one of the Port- Portuguese teams can't play their games at the moment. So they've had to move uh, Arsenal UEFA to move both legs to a neutral venue. It doesn't matter if there's no. Might as well I play know. them both at it's, Arsenal because it's, it's, just... indica- it's yeah, but it's indicative of the issues with Portugal at the moment. Uh, uh, you know what? There is a bigger discussion to be had, which we aren't going to have here right now, no. about international sport and particularly transcontinental sport in the current climate and how important it is and and if it needs to be done. Uh, we talked about it on Michelin Post Race Tech at the weekend about the business of motor racing in particular because that's where, where we are. And, and you could you could have that conversation about a huge amount of other things. Tim, wrap it up. Uh, we end with some sad news, unfortunately, and that's uh, the news that Adrian Campos died last week at the age of 60. Uh, the news was announced uh, in a team statement that said, Today is the saddest day in the history of Campos racing. Our president and founder, Adrian Campos, sooner has left us. His heart stopped beating, but his memory will be the engine that will keep us all fighting to continue his legacy. Born in Valencia in 1960, Campos competed with radio-controlled model cars before moving into proper racing in his native Spain. He quickly graduated to Formula 3, competing in the European Series in 1983. In 1985, he went to the German Formula 3 Series, finishing third behind Volker Wiedler and Chris Nissen. He also entered a Tyrrell at the Formula 3000 race at the Nürburgring, uh, which was cancelled due to snow. In 1986, he made the full-time jump to Formula 3000 with Peter Gethin Racing. In a packed field, he failed to qualify several times. His best result was seventh in his home race at Harama after a late switch to a loader. He also drove a Porsche 956 of John Fitzpatrick in the World Sports Car Championship event at Hereth. Despite that lack of success, he jumped into a uh, Minardi Formula 1 car in 1987 as teammate to Alessandro Nanini. It was a difficult time for the Spaniard with unreliable Motomoderni uh, engine in his car his only classified finish was 14th at Hereth but he moved to team ownership after retiring as a driver focusing initially on the uh, Spanish Nissan Open series they won the title with Marc Genet in 1998 1999 with Fernando Alonso and 2000 with Antonio Garcia they entered GP2 in 2005 uh, finishing third in the series in 2007 with Giorgio Pantano, who scored two race victories. The following year, they finished third again with Lucas Degrassi. He tried to move into Formula One as a team owner using the uh, uh, 
uh, sorry, using the uh, new rules uh, to allow low-cost entries. But financial problems saw a change of ownership before the 2010 season started and the team morphed into HRT. Returning to Spain in junior motorsport, Campos ran uh, Sayats in the World Touring Car Championship before joining forces with Chevrolet. And the Campos motorsport name remo- returned to GP2 in 2014 with Alexander Rossi and joined GP3 when that category started in 2015. Campos also became involved in Formula E with the Next EV team, winning the first title in 2014 with Nelson Piquet Jr. And that's all we have time for tonight. Sad news to finish off, but motorsport continues. That's exactly what Edwin Campos would expect. We'll be back next week at 8 o'clock. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.